This is a Jewish TV channel presentation. Welcome to Talking Point, where controversial subjects are brought into sharp focus. Conversations with JTVC show host Laura Kessler comes up next. Welcome to Talking Point. I'm Laura Kessler. One of the primary goals of the Jewish TV channel is to amplify the voices of talented grassroots activists and disenfranchised voices that have sometimes been silenced, and to help our audience discover some of the hidden gems in our community. My guest today is one of the most authentic activists I personally know. Naomi Friedman is an Israeli-American grassroots activist specializing in BDS and anti-Semitism in education. She worked as a foreign affairs opinion editor for The Hill before founding Stop BDS on Campus, a social media-based grassroots organization that's been fighting anti-Semitism on college campuses since 2015, and more recently, unfortunately, within K-12 education as well. In 2021, she joined End Jew Hatred Movement to help organize in-person civil rights initiatives. Naomi has also worked in the higher education publishing industry as an editor, author, and developer, and she's taught at Hebrew University, South College, and the University of North Carolina, Asheville. Naomi completed her undergrad work in Middle Eastern Studies and Chemistry at Williams College and her graduate work in Political Science at Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and I'm really happy to have her with us today. Welcome, Naomi. Thank you, Laura. And this is this is a heck of a week to be interviewing you. There's so much that has gone on. I don't even think we could cover all of it, but we're going to try yeah. to get into a lot of things. So, Naomi, tell us a little bit about how your own Jewish identity was formed and what led you to become one of the leading grassroots activists fighting anti-Semitism on college campuses. Well, thanks for thanks for calling me one of the leading, and I like the I like the authentic. That was very very kind and sweet. Um, as you mentioned, I'm an American Israeli or an Israeli American. My father and his family are from Jerusalem, and uh, when and lived in Jerusalem um, when the UN decided to partition uh, the British Mandate. My father and his siblings. Um, and my grandmother all played a really active role in the defense of Jerusalem. And I grew up with their stories. Um, and if you, um, if you read the book, if you've read the book of Jerusalem, Laura, I warmly recommend that book. It's a book that everybody should have, um, have read. Uh, but it tells the, it tells the story of my family. It tells the story of the birth of Israel, um, but also, specifically Jerusalem and the story of my family. So that was pretty cool. My uncle, um, my aunt and uncle were both um, in the uh, Haganah. Um, and my uncle was part of Gdud um, Michmesh, which uh, the story is less well known, but it's the one brigade that was completely annihilated even before uh, the declaration of statehood. He was at Gush Etzion, um, a pr- uh, having been injured in the hospital. Um, and I don't know if you know the story of the Gush Etzion massacre, but he um, basically was in the hospital. They were surrounded by the Arabs. He, They said anybody who can walk or 
evacuating the hospital and walking down the mountain, and he crawled down on his hands and knees. And because of that, he wasn't um, killed by the Arabs who came in and um, killed everybody in the hospital who remained the following day. Um, so that's the, the legacy <laughs> that I came with um, to, to, to high school and to college. Um, and um, people that were right there for the birth of Israel, I mean, that, that's, and I've heard the longer version of this story, and it's amazing. Uh, so oh, it's, I, can, I can just imagine little Naomi sitting at the kitchen table hearing all of this yeah. growing up. It must have been incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was always interesting, and my my aunt uh, and uncle uh, loved to tell stories, so I heard a lot. Um, and then I get to college. I got to college right after the um, first Lebanese War, um, and there was already a small group of anti-Israel activists on campus at that time. This was 1983, so um, so you can imagine it was still small. But a Palestinian student um, from Kuwait had published an article that explained to everybody why the Israelis were so bloodthirsty and had such a penchant for killing children. And her explanation was that it's just they're Jews and this is rooted in the Bible <laughs> because, because some, some, uh, some attack by some Jews on some, you know, uh, during some war and they killed children. And so this is just something that was fundamental to Jews. So that's my introduction, freshman year, first semester. Shortly after, maybe a week or two after, Edward Said arrives on campus, the famous scholar from Columbia, Columbia University, you might have heard of, um, who authored the book Orientalism and is very, very famous and has had a lot of influence. But he came and his title was Permission to Share the Palestinian Narrative. Um, I was actually very excited to go because I didn't, you know, I had not heard the side um, of the Palestinians. And I really wanted to know um, what it was like for, for the other side. I'd heard the side of what it was like for the Jews, but I wanted to hear what it was like for the Arabs. Um, and he didn't talk about that, actually. <laughs> he talked about the Zionism and Zionists and how we were all rich European Jews mm -hmm. who had cooperated with Britain to colonize Israel. Um, and it, this was pretty funny because for me, you know, my dad was not, European. He was not one of these Western European rich people. And he did not grow up eating uh, meat. And he grew up eating meat once a week. He did not grow up, you know, in plenty. He was really, really poor, like everyone around him. So mm -hmm. I was very surprised and shocked by Saeed's narrative. And it wasn't anything like what my family had experienced. And basically, you know, when you look back on it. And this was in Skokie, it, right? This was no. This, this was, was this was at, at Williams. This was in Williams at Williams okay. College. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, what what I didn't know back then was what I was experiencing was the rise of the new left, um, the socialist. It was like socialist leading leaning academia um, that that rose up during the 1970s, and um, and they had a project which was to insert the, you know, or not, it wasn't their only project, but one of their major projects was to insert the same Soviet anti-Semitism and the distorted one-sided account of the Arab-Israeli conflict into Middle Eastern studies. 
So, um, so when when Said said the Palestinian narrative, what he was doing was appropriating a lot of the Soviet area anti anti-Semitic tropes like Zionism equals racism, um, or the Zionists were responsible in part for the Holocaust, um, into um, into academia, and these were entering through scholars like Said, through journals like the uh, Journal of Palestine Studies, um, you know, that were, you know, that were, were expounding um, all of these anti-Semitic tropes that were untrue. So and this I is so important that you're, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I don't think enough people realize that a lot of this comes from the Soviet tropes. Um, why is yes. that? Why is that such a why? Why does that not get connected more? You know, it was done quietly. I'll, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there was in 1976, the Journal of Palestine Studies um, published an article written by an East German um, journalist called "The Secret Contacts: Zionists and Nazi Germany," and this was um, this was published in the Journal of Palestine Studies. And it spread that the lie that Zionists collaborated with the Nazis and are responsible for the Holocaust. Um, based on a totally a great distortion of, of history, which has been refuted. Um, but you see this today um, with a San Francisco State University professor who still still advances that trope and advanced it Earlier, uh, well, actually, last year now, um, in in May, when she gave a talk at uh, California Polytechnic uh, uh, University, it, it's just it's just unreal that it, it feels like it's been slowly growing for so many decades, almost like a, a, a frog boiling in water, and then suddenly, in the last few years, it's just really hit us hard. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So how did Stop BDS on Campus begin? Um, and tell us what happened to make you create it, and what does the group do for the Jewish community? So in 2007, um, I don't know if you remember, but John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt, um, they, were, they are um, professors um, from such elite uh, colleges as Harvard and University of Chicago, they published an article and then a book on the so-called Israel lobby. Um, And this book, which was accepted and was accepted and taught um, at universities, made the anti-Semitic claim that the pro-Israel lobby, a.k.a. the Jews, had manipulated U.S. foreign policy to the detriment of the American people. Basically, they said the U.S. was serving Israel's interests rather than their own, and the Jewish lobby, which they called the Israel lobby to protect themselves, um, was responsible for it. So why is this claim anti-Semitic? It's, you know, first we, we, we see that it's conspiratorial, but even even more so, it's anti-Semitic because the the pro-Israel lobby is not responsible for the close relationship between the U.S. and Israel. The close relationship is a direct result of the Cold War. 
the Cold War, as I'm sure you remember, is the longstanding mm-hmm. confrontation between the Western forces of democracy and the Soviet Union and its communist allies. And right. um, we we practiced um, a strategy called containment. Um, the, the United States practiced a strategy of, of containment to try to spread, prevent the spread of communism. So until 1967, Israel's closest ally was France. Um, and and Israel did not receive aid from the U.S. at all. But following the 1967 Six-Day War, um, the Arab launched a lesser-known war called the War of Attrition, which you don't see mentioned in the textbook. But it was um, it was these little attacks on Israel. Um, but but and and fighting for control of the of the airspace. But um, <laughs> it turned out that um, the, as, as they fought for the control of the airspace, that it was Soviet pilots who were flying Soviet jets from Egypt to face off against the Israeli pilots. Um, and if you want to look that up, it's called Operation Rimon 20, and Israel downed five Soviet planes. I mean, that's one of the things. That's, that was, I think, the, the operation that opened um, people's eyes and said, oh, my gosh, Israel is fighting the Soviet Union. Um, so when it looked like Israel might collapse in the 1973 uh, Yom Kippur War during those early days, um, the U.S. decided, President Nixon decided, um, to intervene and send weapons to Israel to save Israel in um, an operation called Operation Nickel Grass, um, which, you know, people people say, oh, well, Israel threatened to use nuclear weapons, et cetera. They, they, they say these things without knowing anything. The reason why um, the United States had to intervene was because of its policy of containment. And the weapons that it sent came as loans, not as gifts. So, um, so once you understand that this close relationship between the U.S. and Israel is a result of the Cold War, then you can recognize Mearsheimer and Walt's book as a modern-day conspiracy theory, blaming the American Jews for manipulating foreign policy for their own nefarious purposes to the detriment of the non-Jewish Americans. And Mearsheimer and Walt directly attacked APAC, which, if you don't know, it's the educational um, organization that teaches and facilitates lobbying efforts to improve U.S. relations. Um, they claimed that APAC was part of this neoconservative group that had pushed for the invasion of, of Iraq, which is uh, highly unlikely. We did not. Um, it wasn't in, in the interest of the, of the Jewish state. Um, but by 2007, it was growing unpopular, and Mearsheimer and Walt blamed the Jews. So that was pretty horrible. But what really horrified me was the response of members of the Jewish community was to form J Street, which was a new Jewish lobbying group. So J Street joined Mearsheimer and Walt um, by attacking APAC and playing into their hands and presenting themselves as the good Jews. J Street was going to be the good Jews who wouldn't do what the bad Jews like APAC had done, using their money against the best interests of the American people. Um, the fact that people would join uh, J Street, that people didn't understand this, to me, was appalling. So I, and, and I only saw the fact this as, this entering the universities, this entering the Jewish community, and I saw, I saw the writing on the wall that, that 
we were going to, we were in, in for a very, very bad spell of rising anti-Semitism. But um, like many others, I was, you know, in 2007, 2008, 2009, I didn't know what to do. I was stymied. Um, eventually, I started writing op-eds for The Hill on foreign policy. Um, and then to promote the articles, I got on social media for the first time, and I saw the potential, a world of potential. Um, I published uh, an op-ed in the Jerusalem Post called How to Stop BDS on Campus, which is how we got our name. Um, and I recommended that somebody form a social media site as the basis of large-scale grassroots activism. Um, but then I couldn't get anybody to do it. <laughs> so I had to do it uh, which, <laughs> myself. Which you want something think, done, you have to do it yourself every time. It's, <laughs> it's so true. But I did get a lot of help, even including from people like you. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, I, yeah, so it, it turned out that by the time I figured out that this might be a good tool, um, people were really beginning to wake up. So. So that's how how uh, Stop BDS on Campus got formed. Well, our yeah. listeners are an international audience from you know many religions and faiths, and everybody may not necessarily know exactly what BDS is. So, can you explain exactly what BDS is and what Stop BDS on Campus does? Sure. Um, so BDS is boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. In other words, it's a movement not to boycott sanctions, not to punish China, not for its human rights violations, not to punish Russia <laughs> for its incredible human right. rights uh, human rights violations, but to 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 punish um, Israel. It's basically trying to say, um, and and what they do, these activists, it's they aren't only trying to boycott; they're trying to make Israel out to be the most evil nation state. In other words, the, 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 the Jew among the states is the most evil, nefarious character. And that's, that's the point because, you know, they, they don't just, you know, they, don't, they aren't really determined to stop the funding. They're determined to vilify and alienate and isolate Israel um, and to delegitimize it so that they can get rid of the Jewish state, which is what a lot of the, what the founders and many of the people um, who are part of the BDS movement want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, on campus, I mean, college campuses seem to be the ground zero of the BDS yeah. movement. And it seems like that's intentional uh, because yeah. um I know you've told me before about the BDS movement, how successful it's been. Can you explain why it's moved to the campus now? Well, I think that what I said before about the rise of the left, it's really um, become ingrained. Like if you go to the Middle Eastern a Middle Eastern Studies Department. Good luck finding one that doesn't have anti-Israel, anti-Semitic faculty. And and that's not true mm-hmm. across the board, but it's certainly true in many major universities. And many many major universities have have virulently anti-Semitic faculty um, in the Middle East. Well, Eastern and you, studies even department. within Jewish Studies departments too. Now you know that's there, true. There, there Which we'll are get to. many many anti-Semitic. <laughs> that's why just a shout Getting out to the to Jewish it. Studies, yeah, Jewish Studies Zionist Network. Week. We've had them on for that too, and um, 
you know, it, it's, um, you know, it seems like BDS has not made the financial impact it wanted to. In fact, there's an index fund I keep hearing about that is all BDS stocks, and it actually performed 30% better, at least at one point it did. So, you know, that's a big fail there. So they seem to okay. have moved instead of the economic impact to the the psychological impact yeah. on campuses. Yeah. And can can you speak a little to, because I know this is just vicious and it's, it's our kids on the front line. It's one thing for adults to say, well, okay, they're boycotting my goods. But, you know, these are 18-year-olds getting to college for the first time. And some of our listeners are looking at colleges this time of year and, you know, they may not know about this or even know how to assess if there's a BDS problem on a college campus. So can we talk a little bit about how it manifests on campus and who some of the players are to uh, that they can look up to see sure. if these things exist on campus? Sure. Well, I mean, maybe one of the best ways to talk about that is to talk about what, what Stop BDS on Campus does um, because uh, because we fight um, – we fight that, and and um, and you'll he- and you can hear all all of the different stories about what happens and how we respond. So um, so we formed Stop EDS on campus, and at the most basic level, we um, we disseminate information, which sounds a lot like what everybody else does online, um, but we do something different. Um, we use social media to help um, issues that aren't being covered, that are being ignored or aren't being covered, go public um, so that they will at least be picked up by the media, if not addressed otherwise. So, for example, um, I don't know if you remember, uh, in the first day or two of the May 2021 war in Gaza, the mainstream news outlets were reporting that Israel had killed um, a whole lot of civilians, about eight children and four adults from two families. Um, it turns out they were actually killed by Hamas missiles and misfired, but the press, the media, was totally blaming Israel. And nobody was reporting at all that one in four missiles, Hamas missiles were misfiring into a densely packed population that's Gaza. Um, so this was going on. However, it turned out that there were two human rights organizations that are reported on the death of these eight children and four adults and given the names, the times and the places. And they had actually been killed before the Israeli air force had launched its first counterattacks. So they couldn't have been killed by Israel. Um, what we did um, at uh, stop EDS on campus is that we launched an action alert um, aimed at um, ABC News sending tons of requests to cover this story, and we sent them the links um, to the human rights reports so that they could uh, check it themselves. And and we got uh, we got a response. We we began to get uh, a response. And now it may not have been only us, but but we we really I think we got I got an astronomical number of hits on on our on one of our posts. So it it had gone viral. Um, so we spread information. That's one thing. At another level, um, we we became an, a meeting ground for activists. So um, when we heard that um, some Vassar alums were trying to form Jewish groups, Jewish alum groups on at other campuses, they had done some good work at, at Vassar. Um, we 
spread the word and helped seed the first 12 chapters of Alums for Campus Fairness. So that's another thing that we do because um, the engagement of alums within the campus community is really important because students and faculty can't, can't do it all. So the community needs to come in. Um, at another level, um, we let people know about events and ways that they can um, support the Jewish organizations that fight um, anti-Semitism. Here we'll start to hear the stories that unfold on campus. Um, so, as you know, um, we're in February, so we are heading into what you might call, some people call the Intifada season, the Intifada in America season, or the Israeli Apartheid right. Week season uh, in the spring, um, when they, uh, they might do something like march across campus um, uh, with photos of of what they call innocent Palestinians that were murdered by Israelis. These are usually terrorists. Um, at, I mean, not usually. They are terrorists with very rare exception. Um, and they call them martyrs. They call them martyrs. Um, mm -hmm. And and they, they give all kinds of information that is incorrect. So um, students, I don't know. If I don't understand why we don't have... I don't even understand how that's possible to, I mean, you know, you have homecoming week, you have Greek week, you have all these things. And of all things, Israel apartheid week is first of all, happening is normalized and an annual event. Like why yeah. haven't a, b a bunch of lawyers taken that down under title six or IRA or something? Um, because it's, that, because that, it's uh, anti-Semitic, it's anti-Semitic expression. It's anti-Semitic expression. It's not um, as long as they um, don't uh, harass or discriminate against Jews in a systematic way. And as long as the university, if they do, deals with it, there's no cause for Title um, Title VI complaints. Um, so, but... There are other things you can do about it. If they incite, though. It incites. I mean, aren't there? They, have, no they have begun. They have begun to incite. They have begun to incite. And sometimes they and actually And there's the attack. research to back that up. Yeah, the research backs that yeah. up. That, that wherever they have these, we'll, we'll talk about the chapters that are there. Um, but, but yeah, so um, you were saying with Stop BDS on campus and... Okay, so uh, so apartheid week. Season. So that is yeah. So that is one of the one of the events, and we do often have a lot of anti-Semitic um, incidents around uh, Israel apartheid week. We start to see a lot more swastikas. We see um, uh, we see marches that target Hillel. We see kids pushing or spitting at Jews um, in fraternities. Um, in any case, this was a specific event. Um, and this was, I was just going to explain what we do. Um, so, so Students Supporting Israel, which is an amazing young um, uh, student group, grassroots student group, um, established its first um, chapter at Columbia, and they uh, were, were posed to uh, protest uh, Israel Apartheid Week by setting up a giant Pinocchio. Um, and providing a display that corrected the lies um, that were exhibited by, by Apartheid Week. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember the Pinocchio. It was it was a huge hit because it just said said it like it was. Um, 
and uh, the, but the Columbia officials uh, didn't like it, and they made them take it down. But we asked um, all our members who were NYC residents to show up for, for the protest and support the kids, and they did. So that's one of the things that we do is we let people know what's happening, something that we should do even more often, um, but connecting people. We also report incidents into um, AMCHA, the AMCHA initiative. So we try to raise awareness um, that you need to report incidents into the AMCHA initiative, uh, which is important. The AMCHA initiative is a, um, an, an amazing group that tracks anti-Semitic incidents on campus. And, um, and we can all help, help that, um, help them by reporting incidents into the AMCHA initiative, which you can on their website. Um, and this is really, really important because in order to fight anti-Semitism, we need to know what it is. And a lot of students don't feel comfortable coming forward. Um, and so many instances, most instances, go unreported. So the more we can encourage people to report into AMCHA, um, the better. Uh, the more we'll be able to, to create the tools that we need to fight it. So letting people know about events and the way they can support Jewish organizations that fight anti-Semitism, that's one of the things that we did, we do. But the way we do it all and what we did that was really so important um, at the, in the beginning years and today is that we pioneered and popularized the use of action alerts on social media to initiate grassroots campaigns. Um, and that's probably, you know, the, the most important thing, of course, that, that we do and why you got involved with us. <laughs> So, um, and I can give you, I can give you an, a, 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 an example of a beautiful um, action alert that we did. Um, one of our, one of our first uh, action alerts was in, in 2015, following the Charlie Hebdo attack um, in Paris, if you recall. And Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles decided that they were going to put on a solidarity light show at night. Um, and they did this by projecting the colors of, of the flags of each nation that had fallen victim to terrorist attacks onto its very its white beautiful chapel. Um, and it was it we saw pictures. It was a beautiful sight. But um, one of the uh, students on campus, a Jewish student, was a member of our group, and she asked that they, they she noticed that they weren't displaying the flag of Israel in their display. And so, um, and they, she asked, they initially refused to respond to her request. She, throughout the week, she sent requests, they didn't respond. So we launched a small scale um, action alert calling and emailing uh, the, the university, the person, the office responsible, um, to post the Israeli flag as well. And they responded right away. <laughs> um, as mm -hmm. soon as they understood that the outside community uh, uh, was becoming involved, and they projected uh, the Israeli flag colors onto the chapel. And it was a beautiful sight, and I have a, a picture of it. And and the the student felt supported, um, and it was really important. That's so um, important because you yeah. deal directly with students, and I and I know you'll you'll correspond directly to them. And I think that your group has become the place of last resort for a lot of people who have frankly fallen through the cracks at their university. I mean, there, there should have been other people helping them, but they didn't yeah, for whatever reason. That's true. And anyone can come to you basically, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody can reach me on, on Facebook. 
Um, we have our Facebook group. It's hard to join because um, our admins are um, are very, and you're one of them, um, are very, they, they screen uh, uh, members. But if you write your story into the their questionnaires, um, they will absolutely uh, alert everybody, uh, alert everybody that needs to be alerted, including me, and we'll take action. So um, it's Stop mm-hmm. EDS on Campus. Um, yes. So typically on um, our actions ask, ask people um, to email or call out universities to let them know that we're aware of an incident, and we ask universities to take specific actions or steps, such as to condemn rhetoric or to take disciplinary action. Um, and we can, we can talk about, uh, let me, let's talk about, I can talk about a, a recent event that, um, that we had. As you yeah, said, had I would week. love, you had some, you read <laughs> this week. I, we can just talk about this week alone. It's so, yeah, I there's know, a lot I going know. on. Um, so, and unfortunately um, I'm afraid it will still be relevant in a few weeks. So. Um, yeah, well, yeah, actually, we have, a, we have a, a success story. Um, it's not total success, but it's a nice success story. Um, at the end of January, um, students at the University of, of California, Santa Barbara, arrived um, at their Israeli government class to find it plastered with obscenities, accusations of being anti-Black or and white supremacists, and calls for the annihilation of the Jewish state on, on, the, on the chalkboard and around the classroom. Um, this was done, I, I believe this was done by Students for Justice in Palestine. I think they may have posted about this publicly, um, but, but I, may, I may be wrong, but I believe so. Um, the very next day, um, Jews, the Jewish students um, awoke to vile anti-Semitic uh, leaflets dropped in front of their homes. Um, and this wasn't by uh, the anti-Israel. This was done by the Goyim Defense League. Um, and these leaflets accuse Jews of pedophilia um, and lots of really, really bad stuff. So, um, and and here's here's the problem: um, the DEI office issued a condemnation of this of this, but they began by first condemning racist actions against blacks and and, and Asians um, that and, and just in general and completely unrelated to UCSB completely unrelated to the campus. Um, and they directed students who were suffering from racism and anti-Semitism to a bunch of student uh, on-campus resources. Um, the thing is, is that a University of California, Santa Barbara, provides resource centers, um, student resource centers, to, to, to um, report harassment and discrimination for Latinx, Asian, African Americans, and many other minorities, but not Jews. <laughs> so, um, apart from having this um, this condemnation, it was nice that they condemned the anti-Semitism, the DEI office, but they don't have these resources. I've heard from students that um, their complaints go unheard. So, we launched a, an action alert asking the administration to um, form, to, to create uh, uh, student resource centers to report harassment and discrimination against Jews. And also um, for, the, for the chancellor, who had never before done this, for the chancellor to issue uh, a strong condemnation 
of these incidents. And he did that um, uh, this past week. Good. And, yeah, and the thing and is, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to ask for it, but you do. If you if you did enough for it, yeah. we wouldn't get these things. And even when we do, sometimes it takes a very long time. And then sometimes they'll make a statement, and then weeks later apologize for having made a perfectly reasonable a statement. statement. That's true. Then I the other side, true. yeah. I mean, we need to find the place where you know, Palestinian human rights and Jewish human rights can coexist. And I guess that would be the perfect utopia we're all hoping for. (laughs) So some of the other things that we do and that people can learn from is that we we also lobby the government. And and this is becoming increasingly important because of the K-12 anti-Semitism. This is also a recent, I guess maybe um, it was from December, but um, anti-Israel activists lobbied um, California, California State, their commission on teaching uh, credentialing, so which which certifies teachers, uh, and they they um, tried the anti-Israel activists tried to get um, this commission to qualify ethnic studies graduates to teach history not ethnic studies, but history and social studies in K-12 public schools. Um, This is a problem not just from an academic point of view because ethnic studies does not provide a really rigorous history background, but ethnic studies departments also provide a very warm home to anti-Zionist, (laughs) anti-Semites. And they indoctrinate their students in the oppressor-oppressed ideologies. Um, And Mm -hmm. in these ideologies, the Jews are the oppressors. So um, having heard about this, um, we initiated an action alert to contact the Commission on Teaching Credentials and ask them not to to, um, qualify ethnic studies graduates to teach history. And we got in within two days, we got in, I don't know, hundreds, hundreds of letters. So the Commission has now paused that initiative. So that's that's how we lobby the government. now they pause the initiative. That doesn't mean they've stopped. I, I think that we shouldn't give anybody any false sense of security because the anti-Israel uh, activists are very organized. Um, they're they are well funded, um, and uh, and so we we have to continue. Just because they paused it, it's going to come back in some other form. You have to keep on fighting. Yeah. They're very, so, very well funded, and a lot of a lot of what's happening for us is just made by volunteers like yourself. And I just want to—I'm yeah, scanning I'm 100% through. I'm 100% volunteer. 100%. Yeah, I mean, people probably spend some of their own money even. So I'm, yeah, I'm just scanning through the, the the Stop BDS on Campus page, and just a, just a couple highlights because we can't talk about all of them. But you know, the University of Michigan. Um, you had people saying there is only one solution. I mean, there that you intifada literally called Revolution. for things. I mean, so all so of let's those just things. explain exactly what happened there. Um, and mm-hmm. that was that uh, the students, students, and the University of Michigan claimed that people, students from Dearborn, came on the Ann Arbor campus to do this. But but we know that at least one student is Ann Arbor. The person who who wrote also wrote. The, the person who's carrying the sign that says um, they marched across campus um, 
yelling things like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which means we want uh, to annihilate Israel and create a Palestine state. Um, And they don't want a double solution. They want all of it. They don't want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They don't want a two state solution. Um, They, but, but they also, they also had very extreme rhetoric. They carried a sign that said, there is only one solution, and they chanted, there is only one solution, Intifada Revolution. So the University of Michigan has done nothing. We, um, we put out a national alert, actually. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe the University of Michigan is doing something that we don't know about, but so far we haven't, we haven't heard, and on the contrary, um, they have so many um, anti, anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist is going to speak there, I think, in a week or two. Um, yeah. So we put out a national alert to have them call, uh, call the university um, and condemn uh, this action. And, and so many people called that their phone system went down for a day. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly how they handled it, but we were no longer, as we were calling, we were no longer getting their um, their regular phone system. Well, and what's frustrating is that um, to, to date, as far as so I'm aware, to their attention. yeah, sorry, yeah, and nobody, even in the Jewish Studies Department at University of Michigan, has spoken up. So that makes me worry for the Jewish students there, if if they don't have anybody, even on their faculty, willing to speak up. But it's and this this speaks to the greater failure of things. I know you also did an action alert, a really powerful one this week, to uh, AJS, which is Association for Jewish Studies, the flagship organization for all of Jewish studies academics. And they published something crazy academic that you would, it would be bad enough if, you know, Palestinians did um, using Holocaust art. And uh, I mean, it, it was shocking, shocking. And so, so let me, let me, let me explain that. Let me step back and explain that. So the association for Jewish studies is the main academic um, organization that services um, Jewish faculty teaching. uh, Well, faculty, any faculty teaching Jewish studies on campus. Um, And they unfortunately um, have some virulently anti-Semitic um, faculty, including Jewish faculty, who are teaching uh, at college campuses. And um, in their last issue of Perspectives on Justice, they published a photo montage of the work of a German Jew who had taken photos of people's arms um, and the part of the arm where the where the Nazis tattooed the serial numbers onto the, the Jewish Holocaust prisoners, and they instead this artist of having a number be on the forearm, she took pictures of people having the names of Palestinians who had been killed. Supposedly, we don't. I haven't checked all the names because sometimes they include people who who weren't killed um, or died of a heart attack, or but. Um, of, of Palestinians who were killed on the, and she put it right where the tattoo of the serial number would be. So basically this is equating victims of, not victims, not Jewish victims, just non-Jewish victims of the Arab Israeli violence to Holocaust survivors. 
Which and that's is, Holocaust inversion. And that's Holocaust inversion. It's and it and it it is um, anti-Semitic, very anti-Semitic. And so did, you have the American, you have you have the Association of Jewish Studies publishing anti-Semitic art in their journal. Um, which is which is shocking. And, and just to explain to our audience, Holocaust inversion is a more recent form of anti-Semitism in which they deliberately conflate Israel with Nazism. And right. I mean, it's just insanity, just insanity. Right. And so, I mean, one of many crazy things this week. So we sent out an action alert um, and probably got, I, I mean, just from our site, I think we probably got 50 letters into the organization. Maybe it was less, maybe it was more. Um, it's hard, always hard to tell. Sometimes I do know because the um, the folks who who receive the letters report out, um, but just from the looks of it. But uh, we only complained, and Laura, this is something that we're going to have to rem- remedy, but we only complained to the um, Association of Jewish Studies. And what we really need to complain to is their sponsors. So I think the next donors. week what we're going to have to do, the donors, yeah, the people who sponsored the, the journal, and there's a list of them on 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 that edition in that edition. So we need to reach mm-hmm. out to those folks. And when we write in next week, we need to also CC those organizations so that they know mm-hmm. about this, so that they know that their money is going not to fight anti-Semitism but to promote anti-Semitism. So that's those are some of the incidents that we have have had to deal with just uh, just recently, and it's going to get worse because we're. As I said, we're in the Israeli apartheid week uh, season where um, and and every year it's been getting more and more violent. We've been we've had more more incidents and more Jewish students uh, um, based on the surveys. More Jewish students are reporting physical assaults. We're also getting a lot more physical assaults in K-12. So our our fight is an important fight. If you know our fight is is a very important fight. It's rising, not just in numbers. It's it's what is what's really scary is that it's rising in extremism. And the minute that something some new um, egregious event occurs, something that we haven't experienced yet, the minute it occurs and we don't respond and fight it, then people become almost you know, passive, they become acceptance of that and it becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, we really need to fight against that rising tide and scream. We have to, we have to, and we have to come together to do it too. We have to yeah. embrace every single approach, support every single organization that's taking taking action. And that's, that's one of the things that we also try to do at Stop BDS, as I said, is that we try to help other groups that are fighting. So, yeah. And I want to move into the what the parents and the students can do that are visiting schools. But just before we do that, I want to, on the positive side, also talk about, and this is also straight from your group page, some of the positive things that, you know, we have to celebrate too. And there was a teacher, a professor in Oregon, uh, I think a year or two ago, who reported anti-Semitism, and then they fired him. For reporting yeah, anti-Semitism, yeah, yeah, and well, you know, so he harassment. was wrong, but yeah. he won. Yeah, there was a lot of you know deeper things, you know, we can't get into, but um, he won 
a one million dollar yeah. lawsuit. And so and and yeah. you know that there were a lot of letters um, on his behalf and also other celebrations. A lot of times when IRA, the the international, the definition of anti-Semitism. Um, is passed, you know, the, that's been part of some of the campaigns. And also this week, Virginia became the first state to create a task force to fight anti-Semitism. And I was going to ask you, do you think that's the way to go, is encouraging individual states to create task force to fight anti-Semitism? Because that's, that's something that could be could be campaigned on through the grassroots. I th- I think uh the formation of task task forces is is a good thing um but I think that it can also become um a uh an ineffective panacea that people use instead of doing the real work um and because it's not just that they need to form a task force it's just when anti-semitism occurs when an uh, when an Israeli government classroom is targeted with heinous, you know, ob- you know, obscenities and cries to call for the destruction of the state, state of Israel and the calling of the, the people who are taking the class, you know, racists. And when that happens, you know, it needs to be condemned right away. The chancellor needs to the next day, right, and not the DEI writing about, uh, you know, uh, racism against blacks and, and, and Asians. That, you know, that is something that has to happen right away. So um, I think that though, though task forces are good because we, there's a whole education, we, there's a lot of people who don't know enough to understand that the Walt Mearsheimer uh, text is anti-Semitic. A lot of people who don't understand why calling Israel an apartheid state is anti-Semitic um, because they don't know what, what's really happening. Uh, on the ground, and they don't know what what has really happened, so they don't know to identify. So, task forces, um, all those efforts are very, very important. And in the meantime, we also really, really need people to just call it out and yeah. take the same and 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 treat us the same way that they would treat any other minority, which they refuse to do so far. You know, just like at at. Uh, until University of California, Santa Barbara doesn't establish a Jewish resource center for, you know, for, to report in discrimination and harassment like they have for every other uh, minority group, they are complicit. So, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, so we're, we're now in the season where high school juniors and seniors, they're visiting prospective college campuses. And, you know, I think a lot of parents and kids feel confused as to how to evaluate a campus regarding its Jewish life or the anti-Semitism level. So what advice can you give them? So I, so this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a very short answer. Um, And that is that, uh, that um, the Amcha initiative has a, has a database where it reports every single anti-Semitic incident. And, um, Tammy and Naomi from the Amcha Initiative, who are amazing folks, and hopefully you'll get to reach out and talk to them. But Tammy is going to is working. Just it, we just uh, put this, just connected her to a um, a career, not a career, a, a advisor at high school who advises for colleges, so a college advisor. 
to begin to put a program uh, to really speak to parents about how to choose a college, how to find out about the college. When you go to the college, definitely talk to the Hillel. Definitely talk to um, to the dean if you if you meet with the dean to to you know, um, and then stay active. Join our group. Let us know if anything happens. All of those things, you know, are things that they can do. They can report into AMCHA. They can join Stand, uh, Stand With Us has um, high school high school groups that can prepare the teenagers before they go to college. Um, Stand With Us has that. Um, Camera and and other groups, lots of other groups, have university representatives um, who can, who help out on campuses. So uh, what so I would AMCA say is initiative is, is 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 I just want to spell it because people might not have it. A M C H A Initiative dot org, I believe, yeah. and that is yeah, that were... is the master database. Yeah, also student supporting Israel. You mentioned previously. It's a terrific group, and oftentimes there's groups on campus, you know, like Bears for Israel or, you know, whatever whatever name they are for Israel. Or, um, and those groups are, are, are good homes for students who come from a Zionist background and who want to who wanna advocate. Um, and, and it's tough. I mean, it's, it, it is tough. So prepare your students, support your student, and find out the resources that you need for, for students. We are, um, I, I'm working with several groups to begin what we hope is going to be a nationwide <laughs> program called Rise Up to, um, to begin to educate parents and teachers and students about their rights and the procedures that they need that they can and need to follow when they experience anti-Semitism on college campuses. So I'll provide you information about that as soon as I have it. Yeah, please do. I saw the Rise Up Ottawa, and those Canadians are just full of fire. They are, I mean, it was amazing what they were doing. Nobody was until they, yeah, nobody was organized until they they organized Rise Up Ottawa. And then now they're fighting. Now Now they've done great stuff. Well, and that to me is one of the takeaways here is that everyday normal people without a big budget, without any budget, are making a difference because they get started locally. You know, they're not waiting for orders. Or online. Yeah, you can do it, you know, with with a bad back at home. You can write a letter, (laughs) an email. Um, in fact, I think there actually are probably a larger than than a you know bigger proportion number of people who do have health problems that do online activism because not everybody's going to you know walk through the rain for you know five miles. Um, it, it's it's a different time now. It's not the '60s. I think some people look to think that they're recreating that, but the activism has moved online. Wouldn't you say? I mean, what what proportion of it is live versus online now? Do you happen to know? No, I don't. I don't. But I mean, you can definitely do a lot online. It's certainly, yeah, I think you know, we do more online than anybody does. The, the hate has moved online, unfortunately, and um, that's true. You know, but some of some of the good things too. Um, Naomi, can you talk a little bit about some of the other groups on campus? Sometimes for parents and their kids, in addition to looking at the pro-Israel organizations, one way to assess. Uh, the state of a campus and its Jewish life and, and friendliness is also by the opposite of 
the groups that are antagonistic towards Israel. Um, can you just briefly go through SJP, JVP, and if not now, and you know, explain to people what some of these groups are? Are you you previously mentioned J Street. Oh, okay, yeah. And J Street actually can play a positive role on campus. Um, a lot of the J Street young activists, they don't know this history. They don't know that they, you know, their group formed as part of an anti-Semitic attack. Um, but uh, but they can be, some people in J Street can then go on to, to form um, a, a group called um, Jewish Voice for Peace, which um, which are Jews who... Um, I somehow feel like they are doing good by joining this kind of anti-Semitic, anti-Israel uh, narrative by calling for the annihilation of the Jewish state. Um, they have become tokenized, um, and they, you know, you know, somebody will say, "Oh, that's not anti-Semitic," because these three Jews formed the JVP on campus and they say that it's not anti-Semitic. So, um, so, so, but the JVP is, uh, is anti-Semitic and promotes anti-Semitic rhetoric as do, uh, as does a group that I think is, I'm not sure if they're, they're still very active, but if not now, um, Basically, Jews that because they didn't want to be called anti-Semitic, but they did want to uh, do the same thing as JVP uh, formed formed a new organization. Um, and then there is uh, Students for Justice in Palestine. Students in Justice for Palestine includes non-Jews and Jews, um, so that many people are both members of Jewish Voice for Peace and Students for Justice in Palestine. And we do know that a lot of non-Jews also attend Jewish Voice for Peace to try to amplify their, their representation. Um, so those would be the groups that you would look for um, to see if there's, they are active on campus. And if they are, then, and, and your student is a proud Jew, then either um, prepare them for, um, for a fight or send them to a different campus if they don't want to fight. Yeah, I think one of the AMSA initiative studies revealed that any university that had one of those chapters for especially students for justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace, which, as you said, is not necessarily a Jewish voice and definitely not for peace in the way we think of it, they have a dramatically escalated amount of anti-Semitism at those campuses because the anti-Zionism incites anti-Semitism and people conflate it. Yeah, yeah. So when parents and students come to you for help under attack, what advice do you give to them and how can you help them? And also, Um, are there different resources in different parts of the country depending on their location? Would would the resources be different? Yes, absolutely. Because in Canada, it's like neighbors Canada, uh, whereas here, you know, here we have other other groups. So depending upon what group is on campus, you might, um, you know, you might direct them to different resources. But but the important thing is, and sometimes Hillel isn't does not do not have strong leaders that are willing to put their relationships online with the administration to advocate for for Jewish students. 
And in that Mm -hmm. case, I would say reach out to a group like Students Supporting Israel, a group like us, a group like Stand With Us, and try to get the support uh, that you can, a group like Camera on Campus. Um, But definitely try to, Students Supporting Israel, and if they contact us, um, also get, uh, try to get the support of you know, if it gets, if it looks like, sometimes things get bad very quickly, but when things look like they're getting bad, get some legal, legal help. So you might, you can appeal to a number of different groups, including the Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law. Um, they're a great group. And to it's, go free. To. it's free. And it's free. Uh, the and the it's legal free. help yeah. from them and Lahore and Lawfare Project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of resources for people. Now, what if they want to be anonymous? Because a lot of people, they they want help, but they also want to remain anonymous, and that makes it kind of hard for you to help them. Well, um, it depends. Um, it, it 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 depends. You can um, you can actually report uh, things to like Amcha anonymously. You can talk to the Brandeis uh, Center, and um, and they can handle. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to. Well, I'm not sure about that. Whether or not you. And they probably would advocate with the administration. It's not like you have to necessarily go forward. They'll just help you to support you. So um, I would say that um, there are probably fewer resources for you if you want to remain anonymous, but you can still um, report it into Jewish on campus anonymously. They always keep anonymity. And you and I think you can probably report it into Amcha. But if you want to get help and advocate with the administration, it's much harder to remain anonymous. Yeah, that's JewishOnCampus.org is wonderful. Their their Instagram is really the best, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we we should we should put a list together of all of these you know must see resources. Maybe we can put that on the website. Um, so, is there anything else parents can do to protect their children, and how else are parents prepare them? Back? Prepare them for university. Send them to um, Club Z. Send them. Club Z is a high school organization. Send them to Stand With Us workshops. Send them to the Club Z um, uh, conference. Uh, there are other groups that are pro-Israel. Get them educated. Um, connect them to Israel very early on, um, if you can. You know, and try to mm-hmm. become educated yourself so that you know the facts. Um, I think that's that's probably one of the most important things that, that the Jewish community needs to do going forward. Right, right. And one of the things the Jewish TV channel is doing is sponsoring the We Need IRA campaign, which is part of Act Fast, which stands for Fight Anti-Semitism Together, a coalition builder. Um, what do you think about IRA, and can parents help to promote that by, by writing letters or locally or at universities? Students, students are, 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 are helping to promote that by um, getting their student organizations to pass IRA, um, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. And mm-hmm. um, they're doing that on campus. Uh, uh, students Supporting Israel has, has done that very effectively. I, and, and I think that we should all be advocating at the local level, at the state level, at the national level for the adoption of IRA. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a pre-submitted audience question from Yaakov, and this sort of ties into what you've just been saying. He asks, what's the difference between grassroots activism 
and other organizations that are more historically formal and structured? And he wants to know, is one better than the other? Um, well, one is better than the other fighting anti-Semitism because the organizations that have a lot of the, the older organizations were asleep at the wheel when this happened. And, and, and the reason is not bad intent. The reason is that organizations are founded for specific purposes um, and they raise funds for specific purposes. And they're concerned about maintaining themselves, so they're concerned about raising funds for those purposes. Now, when new issues come up, they don't have funds for those purposes, so they're like, that's outside of my wheelhouse. Or I don't, you know, yeah, okay, that's, that's but until their donors become aware and concerned, then, then they have no reason to fight it. And so what we have is really, you know, a lot of people say that the Anti-Defamation League was really caught off guard um, by this when, when, it, when the writing was on the wall. And they, I think they were just, I don't know, too big, too slow, too old. You know, they'd had their focus for a long time and they couldn't adapt quickly to what was going on. And so I just think that a lot of these organizations have not been able to adapt quickly enough. But the new organizations um, and Stand With Us and Camera have been able to adapt and focus. So, I mean, I think they can all be effective at different things, but you made a great point about the adaptability. Um, yeah. So, so what do you wish everyone would do right now to help fight anti-Semitism on campus, and how can people learn more about your group? And, and if you want to give the information on how they can find you, they can find me on uh, Stop BDS on Campus uh, on Facebook. And I would, again, I would shy away from the Jewish organizations that have served other purposes, and I would go for beginning to read the, the Jewish media. Um, beginning to connect with groups like Stand With Us or Honest Reporting and Camera and, um, and of course, um, the Amcha Initiative and Students Supporting Israel and all these, these grassroots organizations. Um, certainly, uh, we're trying to organize teachers now, so if you're a teacher, please contact me. Um, you know, anything, uh, reaching out to like-minded folks and beginning to, to organize and join together. That's really important. Mm-hmm. And the Jewish Studies Zionist Network also. Yeah. Oh, and these yes. are exactly the people we've been... Absolutely. So as yeah. opposed to the um, Association for Jewish Studies, we have a new organization mm-hmm. that you know all about um, mm-hmm. that is also Jewish Studies faculty that are trying to advocate against anti-Semitism and for fair co- uh, communication on campus about Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair representation. Yeah, the work is never done. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, um, so Naomi, we just have a lightning round. You're good for that. So, uh, why are you proud to be a Jew? Um, I think because I think because I spent my early years in Israel, um, where we were proud to be Jews. They, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, uh, in kindergarten they marched around with uh, Israeli flags. We did not get any anything but proud to be a Jew um, education. 
And who are your Jewish role models? Gold in my ear. <laughs> Devora. She's a popular, yeah, a gold, gold is <laughs> very popular Devorah. around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what concerns concern you most you? about the present situation? Yeah. I think my biggest concern is that Jews are fighting Jews and we really need to join together and respect that everybody's got a different way to fight this. Mm-hmm. What makes you mad? When I can't when I can't find a good action in response to a heinous act of anti-Semitism. And for those who look up to you, what do you want them to remember? That they have it in themselves to fight. Yeah. And lastly, what's your outlook on the future of the Jewish people? Are you hopeful? I think that we have a major fight ahead of us. And I think that... I think we absolutely have to unite and we have to get that message across. I I always am hopeful, um, but I do remember um, that there have been times when anti-Semitism has risen and it rises periodically when we have to undergo terrible, terrible things. And I'm very hopeful that we won't have to undergo terrible things, but I think we're going to have to fight pretty hard. Well, Naomi Friedman, thank you so much for being with us today. And we look forward to having you back on again soon and featuring some more things from Stop BDS on campus. Um, Any final words? Thank you, Laura, for all the work that you do. No, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Talking Point. Tune in next time when we will have Tammy Rossman Benjamin from OMPA Initiative, which we discussed today, to discuss the latest research on campus anti-Semitism and the ethnic studies debates, especially in K-12 education. Until then, bye for now. Thank you for listening to Talking Point on Jewish TV channel, the voice of Jewish communities worldwide. We look forward to seeing you again.